Ladies, welcome. So you came back. We're learning Tehillim. Last week we did chapter 79. So that means this week we're going to do chapter 80. It's simple mathematics. We go from 79 to 80. Probably next week we'll do 81. So I'm letting you know that from now. So nobody's surprised. In your Tehillim books that you have in front of you, it's Perek Peh. Now, last week we had a, uh, a big challenge to find the chapter. The letter pair comes from after the letter ayin. So last week was ayin tet, this is pair. By the time the class ends, I'm sure all of you will have found the chapter by then. In the meantime, we're going to start. This chapter is a classic, <clears throat> as they all are. I want you to know when I became aware of this chapter and its importance... It was in about uh, 1990 or 1989 when I was studying in the Lakewood Yeshiva, uh, BMG, and Bet Midrash Gavoa. And that year, I think 90 or 91, was the Persian Gulf War. And uh, Saddam Hussein and his cohorts were lobbying Scud, scud missiles, missiles against Erich Israel, I think uh, 39 of them. In total, good news is none of them hit. Uh, Saddam Hussein was not known for his aim. And uh, thank God, Bode Olam rerouted those scuds and they landed in open areas and nobody died. And uh, I'll never forget that during those days that Israel was under attack, Lakewood Yeshiva had a custom that every afternoon they would recite uh, certain chapters of Tehillim. You can't imagine the intensity of uh, 2,000 boys on top of their lungs reciting Tehillim. The Ashkenazim, they do it where the Hazan says a pasuk and then everybody answers. So it, it goes like that. And uh, one of the chapters that they recited during the Persian Gulf War was actually Perik, uh, we're going to do it in a few weeks, Pegimal, which I said is appropriate because Pegimal is Rashid Tevot, Persian Gulf. But they also... Uh, uh, would recite this chapter, chapter Peh. They would do Pegimal, but that we didn't get to yet. And they would do, actually, Ayin Tet, which was last week, and they would do chapter Peh. And I asked one of the members, it's not such a famous one. You know, when the Syrians get together and we read Tehillim, we read the easy ones, you know, the ones everybody knows by heart. And these guys pick some uh, esoteric chapter, chapter 80, and they said because it prays for the redemption of Israel in their exiles. And actually, the way that she frames this chapter <coughs> is that it's praying for the redemption of Israel uh, from uh, the uh, four exiles or the three exiles, as we'll see, that we went through. So the chapter, and we know the exiles are Babylonia, Babel, and we know that after Babel, there was 70-year exile in Babylonia, and then we came back and then there was Paras Umadai. There was a Persia and Madai. And then after that, there was Galut Yavan, which is the Greeks, which is Hanukkah. And then you have the Galut that we're still in, which is Rome, which uh, is open-ended. I mean, it's longer than all the exiles combined. We always talk about the four exiles. <clears throat> and I want you to know that we could talk about these four exiles way before they even happened. <clears throat> the Torah already predicted it. So many times, in so many places, there's an allusions 
to these, it seems, necessary events. Because if the Torah is predicting it before it happened, that means it's almost one of like a necessary, I don't want to say necessary evil, because God doesn't know evil, but <clears throat> it's a necessary phase that the world must go through, the four exiles. I'll just give you a few examples of where the exiles are mentioned before they're even uh, materialized. If you open up the book of Bereshit, and you look right in the beginning of Bereshit, so the Pasuk writes, V'ha'aris ha'yeta tohu v'avohu v'choshech al tehom. The Torah talks about the confusion, <clears throat> thank you, the confusion that the world looked like before it actually came into form. And the Torah says it was tohu, and it was bohu, that means helter skelter. And it was hoshek. Hoshek means it was just darkness. Al tehom in the abyss. In the abyss means into the into the emptiness. So the Torah uses four terminologies to talk about how the world looked before it was created. And Nachamim say tohu. That's galut bavel. Vavohu. That's paras umadai. Hoshek. That's yavan. And the abyss, which is the tehom, which is the, uh, the, the black hole, which doesn't end. Ze malchut romi. That's the malchut of Rome, which the exile that we're in now is also nicknamed galut romi. So you see the exile is already written on page one. Before God created the world, he said, and uh, in the world's program is these, four, is these four exiles. Again, it's something that <clears throat> it seems is necessary for the Jewish people to reach their ultimate rectification. They have to go through these four processes. Now, I'd like to move a step further. In this week's parasha, ladies, I know it's not a parasha class, but it's, a, it's an introduction to chapter, to chapter Peh. So in, in, in this week's parasha, which is Lech Lecha, it just happens to work out that way, <clears throat> God makes a covenant with Avraham. The covenant is called Brit ben Abitarim. And it is in this covenant that God promises Abraham that his descendants are going to inherit the land of Israel and they're going to be a great nation and they're going to have prosperity. Now, in the prophecy, Abraham Abinu sees a vision. And I'm reading from Perek Tedvav, <coughs> Pasuk uh, Yudbet. Vahi Hashemesh Lavo. It says, the suns began to set. And Abraham fell into tardema. Tardema means a slumber. He fell asleep. And behold, and this is what he sees in the images. He sees, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm not embarrassed, I'm going to read the English. And he fell into a deep sleep. And behold, a dread, that is ema, dread. Dread is like, uh, you know, something dreadful, fearful. Ema, hashecha, darkness, gedola, great darkness, nofelet alav, fell upon him. Four different terminologies. And the Gemara goes on to say again, ema is galut bavel, and hashecha is parazumadai, uh, gedola, yavan, nofelet, which means that's the falling, which is, represents the free fall of Galut Romi, which is the fourth one. So again, he saw the four exiles in his dream. 
I'd like to give you one more illusion before I begin the chapter, but I can give you many. Actually, I'll probably give you two more, but I'm going to save the last one as we move on to the class. Do you remember when you read this perasha, Lech Lecha, when you were in uh, grade school, you learned about the famous war that Avraham Abinu fought. Uh, you remember he fought the, uh, the four kings against the five kings. Doesn't ring a bell? Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. There was a war that the four kings were fighting the five kings. Actually, it's World War I. It's the first World War. World War I was not in 1918. World War I happens in Parashat Lech Lecha, where all the kingdoms are fighting with each other, and somehow Avraham throws himself into the war. But listen to the way the Torah introduces the four kings that were fighting. There was a guy called Amrafel Melech Shinar. He was the king of Shinar. Now, anybody know where Shinar is? I do. Shinar is in Babel. It's in Babylonia. And the rabbis say that this king Amraphel Melech Shinar is the precursor of Nebuchadnezzar, who also would be the king of his Shinar, Babel, which would be the first of the Jewish exiles. The second king was Arioch. Who's Arioch? Whoever. Melech Elasar. He's the king of Elasar. And if you look on the map, where is Elasar located? It is in the area of Madai. And therefore there's a reference to the second exile, which was Parasu Madai. Kedor Laomer, Melech Elam. The third king was Kedor Laomer. He was the king of Elam. The Gemara says, where did the Greeks begin their capital and their kingdom in the country and the city of Elam? And then it says, so if we have already a reference to the three Galuyot, you have Shinar, which is Babel, you have Elasar, which is Madai, and you have uh, Elam, which is Yavan. And then listen how unbelievable. The fourth king is Tidal. Tidal, that's his name, Tidal, Ted. And what's, what is he the king of? Melech Goim. Melech Goim. Interesting, in the fourth king, it doesn't give us a specific location because all the other exiles were limited to a location. The Jews went to Babel. That's one location. They went to Parasu Madai. They were exiled to the Greek Empire. But the final exile, you know where the Jews are going to be exiled to? To the Goim. It's everywhere. They're going to be in Rome. They're going to be in Spain. They're going to be in Europe. They're going to be in North America. Which ultimately means the final exile, the location where the Jews are going to be, wherever there are Goyim, that's where the Jews are going to be. And therefore the fourth kingdom is represented by Tid'al Melech Goyim. It's not a location anymore, but it's representing the, the, the vastness of the exile, that it's not going to be limited to one, to one spot on the map. It's just going to be, and that's what's happening today. When the Jews were exiled in the times of Rome, we ended up everywhere. America is part of everywhere. But the Jews did not limit themselves to America. We were in many places uh, even before that. So that's the allusions to the four exiles. Now we begin our chapter which talks about God redeeming us from these exiles. And the lion's share of the chapter is going to pray. It's David's King David's prayer. <clears throat> well, I said King David, but not really. But it's going to be Asaf's prayer. You remember last week we talked about Asaf? Asaf was the son of, very good, Korah. 
and he's going to make a second contribution by making this prayer as well. So we begin. Lam el shoshanim or el shoshanim edut leasaf mizmor. Let me explain it simply first. These songs were written, eventually given to the conductor in the Beit HaMikdash, where they would sing them to music. Lam means to the conductor. So the song is written to the Menatzeyah. So they would give the lyrics to the Menatzeyah. El Shoshanim, this is a song that will sing about Shoshanim. Shoshanim are the Jewish people that are compared to roses. Edut le'asaf, this is a testimony that Asaf gave. Mizmor, it is a song, implying that it is a positive song. When we say Mizmor, it means it's a jingle. That means the, there is a, a certain sense of optimism in this Mizmor, because ultimately God is going to redeem us from the fourth exile. And as a result, he sang a Mizmor. It's not a lamentation or a, a sad uh, 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 um, uh, song by any means. It's a, it's a positive. Fine. No, no, sir, no, 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 Rebbe, no, no, madam. Uh, uh, some, some of the chapters are not introduced by Ms. Moore. Uh, some of the chapters are sad. Some of them represent uh, 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 pessimistic views of things. <clears throat> Whenever we see a Ms. Moore, then we know the, the view of the chapter is, is optimistic. Now, I want to introduce to you the words of Rabbi Moshe al-Sheikh, the way he explains the first pasuk. Now, he saw in the first pasuk the four exiles. I don't see even one. How do you like that? <coughs> That's why he's the al-sheikh, and I'm sitting over here in the well. He over there, Rabbi Moshe al-sheikh, gave shi'urim in Sfat 500 years ago. And the Arizal used to come to his classes. Could you believe it? The Arizal went to the class of Rabbi Moshe al-sheikh, and they say that when the Arizal would attend the class, he used to give a class on Friday nights, Parashat Shavua. the Arizal would just sit like this and nod his head. Everything the al-sheikh said, the Arizal was just saying, he's right. The man knows what he's talking about. He's right. Now for the Arizal to give a confirmation to the Al-Sheikh's Torah, that means it's Torah <coughs> Messinai. You know, sometimes I go to a class and hear Rabbi speaking, I'm going like this the other way. I'm like, what, what, what is he talking about? And in this case, the Arizal was giving a confirmation. So he says like this. Lam Nasayah is one. Shoshanim is two. Edut is three. And Le'asaf Mizmor is four. I explained. Lamnaseyah means to the victor. Lamnaseyah also means to be victorious. And we know Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylonia, was quite victorious and maybe the greatest victor because he was able to destroy the first temple that King Solomon built. Now to do that, he indeed gets the title, the Menatseyah. He was able, even the Romans that would destroy the second Beit HaMikdash, that's not a victory like the first Beit HaMikdash. Because the first Beit HaMikdash was built by King Solomon. They thought it would last forever. So they referred to Galut Babel and Nebuchadnezzar and his cohorts, Lam to the victor. El Shoshanim. Shoshanim is plural. Only one of the four exiles is plural. And that is the second, which is Parasu Madai. Parasumadai has a duality. There's two of them that put us in exile. And therefore, the second exile refers to the Shoshanim, the roses. Now, I don't think the Pasuk is referring to the roses and the petals, because that's something that's glamorous. But if you ever touch the rose, uh, there's thorns also. 
So I think it mentions the Shoshanim over not for the rose element of it, but for the thorns. And that's referring to Shoshanim plural, Parasu Madai. Edut, the testimony. Says Al-Sheikh, Al-Kadosh, that's the Greeks. Because if you remember what happened after the Greek exile, we found a Pachshemen, we found a, a jug of oil. And we went and we subsequently lit the menorah. And the Gemara says something about the menorah. Every night when they would light the menorah, not only on Hanukkah, the center beam, the center candle would light uh, consecutively and would never go out. Even though they put the same amount of oil in the center candle, it was called Nera Ma'aravi. The Nera Ma'aravi, it received the same amount of fuel, but it would just last and constantly. And the Gemara says, when you saw the Nera Ma'aravi lasting longer than the, all the others, its friends, it would, and this is the language of the Gemara, Edut, Israel. It was a testimony that God is reigning amongst the Jewish people. And therefore the menorah is an edut. The menorah is a testimony. So it says Al-Sheikh, edut is galut yaban. Because that's when the menorah was re-inaugurated. And the edut of God was reinstated. <clears throat> and then he says, Le'asaf mizmor, song to Asaf. Now you have to remember what we said last week. Remember last week we said why Asaf was so happy when he saw the destruction of the second temple? Why was Asaf so happy? We said he should be miserable because we said that when they destroyed the temple, what happened to the gates of the Beit HaMikdash? The gates got swallowed down. Or He saw that when they're going to re- rebuild the third Beit HaMikdash, that God's going to open the ground and take the gates of the temple out. And when they open the ground to take the gates of the temple, they're going to take his father out also. Korach, his father, is buried in the ground. So therefore, the fourth exile, when we get redeemed, actually is a reason for Asaf to sing. So therefore, the Asaf Mizmor is Galut Rebi'i. Because in that Galut, not only is the Beit HaMikdash going to be rebuilt, but Korah is going to be, uh, 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 exactly, el- escalated from underground, from a subterranean uh, 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 position, that therefore, the Asaf Mizmor is Galut Rebi'i. I mean, look at how a man sees a text over here, and he's able to break it down, and see the whole overview of the whole chapter. Lam Naseyach Zebabel. When he sees the fourth exile come to an end and the temple will be rebuilt and the ground will open up to remove the gates and with that Korach will come back and therefore Asaf is happy. Okay, now that we have this, we start Pasuk Bet. Yisrael Ha'azina so Asaf is talking to God. He refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. Just like a shepherd guides his sheep, just like a shepherd protects his sheep from wild animals. So we call God the Ro'e Yisrael. And we're compared to obviously sheep because the sheep is a very, very uh, timid and a very weak uh, animal. And the job of the shepherd is to protect the sheep from the wolves that surround it and try to kill it. The Jewish people are always compared to one sheep surrounded by 70 wolves that are trying to devour it. If you ever want to see it in real time, uh, take a visit to the United Nations whenever they're in session, the Security Council, and you'll see it. You'll see the poor, mesquine Israeli ambassador sitting there, and you got 70 wolves all around them, and they all want to cannibalize the Israeli ambassador. 
and everybody gets up to make a speech, and no matter where they're from, the guy represents, you know, a zimun of cannibals in, uh, in Zambia, and he gets up and he's, oh, those Israelis, what do, you, what do you know about Israelis? You people are, are, are committing the worst crimes, but they have claims against the Israelis. So therefore, it's a miracle of miracles that the one sheep is able to survive the torment of the 70 wolves that are bent on destroying them. So if it was not for the fact that God is the great shepherd, he's called Ro'ei Yisrael, he's the Ro'ei Yisrael. Whenever we mention exile, exile means that we're being surrounded by our enemies that one, one is destroyed. So therefore we need to invoke the Ro'ei Yisrael, we need to invoke the power of the, of the guardian of Israel, the shepherd of Israel, Ha'azina, we say to God, listen to our prayers. Now watch this, Noheg, God guides us, Kasson Yosef, listen to this, the Jewish people receive a new name in this chapter, Son Yosef, you never heard us referred to that, you heard of us, Referred to as B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael means the children of Israel. Nobody ever got up and said, uh, I'd like to uh, uh, address Son Yosef. Son Yosef, who's that? You people, the, the sheep of Joseph. Sheep of Joseph, I mean, sounds like a nice thing, but why would we be referred to as Son Yosef? So the explanation that she brings down, and I'm quoting that she, if you have it in front of you, you'll see it. Ro'e Yisrael. God is our leader and our supplier for sustenance. Yosef vechol Yisrael. All the Jewish people nikraim al shem Yosef. Nefi because who pernesam vechilkelam bimeharaav. Remember there was a famine in Egypt? And therefore, who got us through the famine? Who gave B'nai Yisrael sustenance and food and provision? Yosef. So therefore, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the, uh, the TLC and the love and the concern that Yosef did for us. So from that chesed that Yosef did for his family, we refer to the Jewish people as son Yosef. We are the, we are the sheep of Yosef. That means just like Yosef took care of us in the mother of all exiles. The mother of all exiles was Egypt. And we went down there. We only went down there because there was a famine throughout the world. But when the Jewish people got to Egypt, Yosef made sure that they'll be set up. He took care of them in Goshen. He set them up apartments and houses. He set them up a Bebedrash. He gave them Parnassah. And therefore we say to God that be our shepherd just like Yosef a Sadiq took care of us in exile. And therefore you are the ultimate shepherd. I must say something that I saw from the Ben Ishai. So Yosef is called the Ro'eh. Ro'eh means a shepherd. Okay. Thank you. The Benish High says something so stunning. You remember that day when Yosef was in the palace or working for Eshet Potiphar and she was seducing him. There was a Yom Yom, Mrs. Potiphar. She wanted to uh, commit immorality with Yosef, who was a handsome man. And Yosef resisted her uh, her advances. And one of the things it said is he saw his father's image in the window one day. You remember the story? He saw Yaakov Abinu and Yaakov told him in the window, Yosef, you are going to lose your standing. Your name is going to be written on the, on the, uh, on the breastplate of the Kohen Gadot. We're going to remove that. You're going to be deleted. And not only that, 
you are destined to be called Ro'ei Yisrael. They're going to refer to you as Ro'ei Yisrael. And if you make this sin, they're going to call you Ro'ei Zonot. They're going to call you the shepherd of, of harlotry. And therefore, his father gave him a big rebuke. You can choose what you want to be. Either Ro'ei Zonot or Ro'ei Yisrael. Son Yosef. So, of course, he made the right choice. And the Benish Chai says, that's why we call him a Ro'ei. Because immorality in Hebrew, the word for immorality is what? Erva. Erva means immorality. It's the same letters, Erva, as Ro'eh. Because he did not commit the sin of Erva, so therefore, Borei Olam says, you switch the word Erva around, and therefore you will get the title as the shepherd. It could have been the Shalom, the negative connotation of the word, Erva. But instead, he flipped the words around through his actions, and Erva became Ro'eh. That's, uh, that's beautiful. That's only the Benish I can see that. You look at those two words. I mean, I'll look at those words forever. I'll never see it. When he sees it. Yosheba Kirovim God has referred to the God that his presence rests between the cherubs. And therefore, the uh, chapter is invoking God's uh, Shekhinah that rests amongst the cherubs. In the Beit HaMikdash, please redeem your people. And now we have a Pasuk Gimal. Look at these three tzaddikim. Ephraim is one, Binyamin is one, and Menashe is one. God, you aroused your power and strength. And just like you aroused your power and strength to save in different parts of history, one time you saved Ephraim, one time you saved Binyamin, another time you saved Menashe. So you know what, God Almighty? We saw you did it three times already. Now come and redeem us. And we're not going through the whole history. There were three different tribes that lived in Eretz Israel, and they were attacked. Uh, Ephraim, for example, this is in the times of Eli HaKohen. Eli was the Kohen Gadol at the time, and he lived in a place called Shiloh. I was just there a couple of months ago. It's a, a nice uh, a little area, and they claim that uh, that's where, uh, they, they claim they, that they know where the Mishkan was. I'm not too sure if, they, if, if we know exactly where it is, but it's for sure the, the area of Shiloh, and that's where Eli served as the uh, Kohen, and Shiloh is in the territory of Ephraim. And what happened was, uh, the capital of the Shiloh area was Shomron. Shomron, I think today they call it the West Bank. But that's where Shomron, Shomron was the capital of that area. So I just want, I want you to know, nobody should think that West Bank belongs to the Arabs. We've been living in Shomron since the time of the, of the Bible. So when you get to Shomron today, you got to go with a bulletproof vest and you have to say, Gomel when you come back, that you, you survived it. And you come along and say, well, maybe we're taking their lands. Maybe this is an Arab land. It is not. Shomron was clearly where the Mishkan was, where the Jewish people were. And what happened was, many years ago, we were attacked by the king of Aram. And he tried to attack Shomron and take it away from Ephraim. I have good news. Ephraim beat Aram. And therefore, the chapter says, look what you did to Ephraim, Ephraim. And look what you did to Binyamin. When did God save Binyamin? The story when we were in trouble in the times of Haman. Haman, who was from Amalek, wanted to kill Mordechai. Now, where was Mordechai from? What tribe? Yamin. Very good. It says, Ish Yemini. Yemini means he was from Benjamin. 
and you made a sa- and Queen Esther also was from Benjamin because they were related, and therefore you brought salvation to the tribe of Benjamin in the times of Haman, and finally Menashe. Now Menashe was another story that happened in the times of the first Beit Hamikdash, and uh, the again the people of Aram attacked Eretz Yisrael, and, Binyam, and uh, Menashe was able to push them back. So he's giving three examples: Lefnei Ephraim, Benjamin, and Menashe. Just like those three tribes were saved from their antagonists, Orera et Kivuratecha. God Almighty, arouse your power and strength. Save us. Now watch this. <coughs> Pay attention to Pasuk Dalad, ladies, because you're going to see this Pasuk is written three times in the chapter. Something you don't see that often. The same exact Pasuk written three times. Elohim hashivenu, God return us, ve'ha'er paneka v'nevashe'a, and shine your light on us. Look at Pasuk 8, Pasuk 8. Elohim seba'ot hashivenu, ve'ha'er paneka v'nevashe'a. Very similar, correct? Well, if that's not enough for you, go to Pasuk, um, go to Pasuk, oh, Pasuk Chaf, 20. Three times, basically, the same pasuk. Why would the chapter write a pasuk times three? So that she will tell you, because since we're referring to three different exiles. So we're saying, just like God Almighty, you saved us from the galut of Babylonia and Parasumadai, and you saved us from uh, 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 Yavan, so to save us from the main exile, which is Galut Romi. So each one of these Pesukim is referring to a redemption of a different exile. So now, Adonai Elohim hashivenu va'el panecha v'nevashe'ah. That she says this is referring to, if you have that she in front of you, look at Dalet. Hashivenu begalut Bavel. This is referring to the exile of Bavel. Shayam Mordechai Sham. Let me review. In Babylonia, we were sent out. For 70 years. The one that returned us from Galut Bavel back to Israel was Mordechai. He was the champion that brought us back. And therefore this person is referring to when Mordechai and Esther, of course, brought us back from Galut So Hashem Elohim Sevaot, next pasuk, Admatai Ashanta Bitfilat Amecha. God Almighty, until when are you smoking? Smoking? God doesn't smoke. What does Ashanta mean? Ashanta means to be angry. Because uh, when a person gets angry, ever here in America, they say he has smoke coming out of his nose or smoke coming out of his ears. Uh, so that's an old saying from Tehilim. When God gets angry, we say, Admatai Ashanta. Until when are you smoking, uh, God? Until when are you going to be angry at your people? Admatai Ashanta. Until how long are you going to allow your anger to, to smoke? Bitfilat. Amecha, and not accept uh, the tefillot of your, of your people. Tefillot Amecha. Until when are you going to be so angry that you don't accept the prayers of your people? Now watch this. During our exile, you know what we ate? We ate bread. But you know what our bread was? Tears. That means we couldn't eat during the exile. was so miserable. Our food was tears. And you know what we drank? Vatashkemo, mashkeh, Demaot shalish. The demaot. That means our cup was filled with tears. The main entree that we ate during exile 
was tears. That's all we did was cry. Instead of drinking wine, instead of eating bread, instead of eating good foods, who had an appetite? The psalmist comes along and says, Demaot, Demaot. The exile was just filled with incessant crying. But now we open up Rashi over here, and Rashi says something amazing. She comes along and says, and I quote, Vatashkemo bedemaot shalish. Shalish means three or a third. If I want to talk Hebrew for a minute, and I say shalish, shalish is a third. We drank tears for a third. Third of what? The ma'ot shalish. Listen to how sophisticated this is. The first exile was in Egypt. Anybody know how long we stayed in Egypt for? No, 210 years. That's how long Egypt was. It was a long exile. I mean, not longer than the one we're in. The one that we're in now is about 10 times longer, but nonetheless. Ah, you got it? So therefore, how would we refer to the tearful exile of Babylonia that lasted 70 years? So we would say, Dima'ot Shalish. It's tears one-third of the exile of Mitzrayim. It's not a math class, but one-third of 210, I did the math before I came, is, is 70. So therefore, that's a, that's a, 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 a very, very, you know, a, a, a complicated way of saying 70 years, Galut Pavel. If you come along and you would say, Dema'ot Shalish. So, oh, the tears of the third now that you came to this class, you know exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the exile that was one-third of the primary mother exile, which was Egypt, which was 210. Now, based on this, I want to bring to your attention something that I saw in a sefer. I brought a copy of it. I can leave it with you if you want to see it. It's Meir Ene Hakamim. Ah, this was a great rabbi. Uh, is one of the great Hasidic masters and commentary on Torah. He wrote a book called Meir in the Hakamim. So he says, there's a Gemara that says in Sota. Sota on page 12. <coughs> God rewards the Goyim for everything that they do. Even the Goyim, if they do something good, they get reward. That's the way it is. You have to be fair. So it says in this week's Penashah, he writes, that Avraham and Sarah were in Egypt. I'm not going to tell you the story over there. You'll learn when you read the Penashah. But they were in Egypt this week, whatever they were doing over there. And after they finished their, uh, their journey in Egypt, they were escorted out. They got an escort. And the Gemara in Sotah says, well, Paros should be rewarded for that escort because... Listen, it's a proper thing to escort the tzaddik. So the Gemara says, Amar bi Yoshua, Bishvil alba pisiot shalava parol Abraham. He only escorted them four steps. He walked them to the door. Now, that, that, for a king, that's something special because the king usually says, you know, see you later. Instead, he got up off his throne and he walked four steps. Four, exactly, four steps. So it says, in the merit of those four steps, the Jews would be slaves in Egypt at a later date for 400 years. Look Each step for 100 years. Not bad. Now we know it's not 400 years. We know it's 210 years. Because God 
he cut the mortgage in half, but it was 210 years. But for four steps, 210 years, not bad, yeah? But there's another Gemara, the Rabbi Meir Achamim says, that one time there was a fellow called Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, it says, also escorted one of the prophets four steps. He also followed Paro's Derech Eretz. And he escorted the prophet four steps. And the Gemara says, in the merit of the four steps that Nebuchadnezzar escorted the prophet, not that he escorted the prophet. You want to know the, you want to know the story? I, I, I don't want to be inaccurate. I, 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 not the prophet. Basically, they were sending a letter to the king of Israel. And the secretary wrote on the letter, peace be unto the king of Israel and peace be unto God, the God of Israel. And they sent the messenger. When the Vukhadnezzar heard that they put the king of Israel before God, he felt that it was inappropriate. So he jumped up and he walked four steps in order to stop the messenger from delivering it so he could change the, uh, change the order. That was the story, to be honest with you. Anyway, the Gemara says, wow, guy walked four steps in honor of God. So the Jews will be under the Vukhadnezzar's exile for 70 years. Asks the rabbi, hold it. Paro goes four steps and he gets 210 years. Nebuchadnezzar walks four steps and he only gets 70. So he asks, I mean, who was the accountant over here? He didn't, he didn't know how to calculate. Make up your mind. Is four steps worth 210 years or is four steps worth 70? <laughs> look how smart this rabbi says. <clears throat> if you look in this week's parasha, when Abraham gets escorted, look at the Pasuk. Pasuk writes on the way out, and I quote Vaitsav Alav Paro Anashim. Paro commands men, Anashim. He commands men to do what? To send out Abraham. Who escorted Abraham out of Egypt? Anashim. Anashim? People. Important people. That means the Pasuk is telling us Paro did not escort Abraham alone. Paro had Anashim. That means the king doesn't travel alone. The Gebarah says an important man always has entourage. He has one man to his right, one man to his left. So how many people escorted Abraham? Three. Paro and the two Anashim that were on his side. So there was three. Also, now it makes sense. Three people escort Abraham. And how many years do we stay in Egypt? 210. That means it's 70 per person. The Bukhadnesar, when he made those four steps, he was one. And therefore, it's 70. The Ba'zim that reconciles. So when, you, when, you, when they say Paro escorted, it doesn't say in the Torah he escorted. It says Paro va'anashav, Paro and his men. It wasn't a private escort. It was an escort of three people. Oh, three people? Three people escorting. So it's 70 per. 70 times three is 210. The did it alone. Therefore, it's only 70. Yeah, it's a, that's, again, I was reminded of it when she refers to the Galut of Babel, the Ma'ot Shalish, the tears of a third. A third of the time that we stayed in Mitzrayim. So now what happens? Pasuk says, Elohim Sebaot, go to 
I'm sorry, go to Pasuk Zayin. Tesimenu madon neshkenenu. We became, you brought confrontation and anger by our neighbors. Which neighbors are we talking about over here? In the next exile, which is Galut Yavan, in Galut Yavan, the enemy came from Syria, from north of Damascus. That's where the Greek empire was. I know when you think Greek, you think Greece. That's not where it was. The Greek empire was located in Syria. And that's right neighboring in a border country to Israel. So it says in the Pasuk, you aroused anger and strife from our neighbors. Who's the neighbors? Surya. Surya means Galut Yavan. Yes. And then the Pasuk says, Elohim Please God, return us. And you did return us. You returned us from Galut Yavan. You saved us from the Greeks. And if you look at Ashi in Pasukhet, So therefore, already the Pasuk says, you returned us from Babel, you returned us from Yavan. What's the only Galut that's left? Romi, the one that we're in now. The rest of the chapter now, will talk about current events, where we're standing in the present moment. And now we begin. Now we start to talk about the longest of the exiles after the Hurban Bayit Shani, the exile that we're waiting for Mashiach Tzedkenu to redeem us. So the Pasuk refers to the Jewish people. Gefen mimitzrayim tasiyah. The Jewish people are compared to a gefen. What is a gefen? A vineyard. A gefen is a grape. The Jewish people in Mitzrayim were compared to a grape. And God pulled the vineyard, the Jewish people who were considered the gift, pulled us out. Tegaresh goyim, you kicked out the goyim from Eretz Israel, and you replanted this grape vineyard in Israel. I'm not an expert on wine, but I was told, and the Midrash says, if anybody knows how you plant grapes, they plant it in one place first, and then they uproot it, and then they plant it a second time in a different place, and then it finally grows. The Jewish people are exactly like that. We grew initially in Egypt. God plucked us out of Egypt and replanted us into Eretz Israel. So the Pasuk is to be read. Gefen min Mitzrayim tasiyah. You uprooted a Gefen in Mitzrayim. Tigaresh goyim. You kicked the goyim out of Israel, because we couldn't go into Israel if the goyim were there. You kicked out the, the 31 monarchs. That's the times of Yoshua ben Nun. And what happened? But Tita'eha, you replanted us in Mitzrayim. Now, by the way, I'm sorry, in, in Israel. You think I'm making any of this stuff up? I, I'm not making it up. If you have your, if you have, you have your books in front of you? Yes. Yeah, so could you read Rashi? Read Rashi. Then you'll say, oh, the guy's just reading Rashi. It, it, look at look at Pasuk Tet. Gefen mi Mitzrayim Tasiya. Hazar Biramaz al Galut Aramim Gefen Yisrael. Asher Hasaat mi Mitzrayim that you took out of Mitzrayim. Akarta Misham, you uprooted them. And then it says, Bahaka Girashta Shivagoim, you kicked out the seven goim from Erich Israel, Venatam Be'arsam, and you replanted the Jewish people in their country. Just exactly like we said. 
And now the Torah tells us how the Jewish people flourished in Eretz Yisrael. Pinita lefaneha. Pinita means you, ex, you, you, you cleared out. To clear out is lefanot. What did God clear out of Israel? All the Avodah Zarah. Before we were able to enter Eretz Yisrael, God destroyed all the idolatrous uh, worship uh, uh, buildings and, 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 and pagan uh, places. That's called Pinui. Pinui is to, to mind sweep, to clean out. How do we know this? How do we know that Pinui, to clean out, is referring to cleaning out Avodah Zarah, not cleaning the, uh, uh, the garbage? In a few weeks from now, we're going to read when Eliezer came to find a shiduch for Yitzchak, and he came to Lavan and Betuel's house. And Lavan and Betuel, as hospitable, hospitable as they are, they tell Eliezer, Baruch Abba, why don't you come in? And then he says, piniti et Don't worry, I cleared the house out. Cleared the house out? Well, what does he mean to say? So he says, I know you're a servant of Abraham, and you will not go in a house that has Avodah Zarah. I cleared the house. I got rid of all the TVs. I got rid of all the Wi-Fi. I got rid of all the cell phones. I got piniti itabai. All the avodah that I got rid of. Now you can enter. Baruch haba. So therefore, over here, it means the same thing. Over here, when it says over here, pinita lefaneha, before the Jewish people came into Eretz there was a pinui. A pinui means a, a clearance. Clearance of what? Of the avodah that of the guhim. Then God rooted us. Shadashiba roots. He re-rooted the Jewish people in Israel. And the land became filled with the Jewish people. And you know how flourishing we became? This is uh, exaggeration, but it means to say that the grapevine of the Jewish people grew so high that the shade of the grapevine covered the mountains. Again, kosu. Kosu means lechasot, to cover. Harim is mountains. Sila is the shade. Now, that's hyperbole. It's impossible that a grapevine is going to grow so big that the shade of the grapevine will cover the mountains. But the, what, what, what is that way of saying? It's a way of saying we flourished. The, the branches of this nation were as big as the Arazim. Arazim means the cedar trees. Again, it's hyperbole. It cannot have a, a, a grapevine that has twigs that are big as a cedar, but it's a way of saying that we flourished. Kings and glory. The branches of this tree reached all the way to the west, to the ocean. And to the river. Very, very great. And we built the second temple. I'm fast forwarding. And then what happened? When you build a grapevine, which I never did, but I'm told again, you put a fence around it. The reason why you put a fence around it is so the animals don't go in and eat the grapes and you save it from all the wild uh, rodents that come in. And then what happened? The Goyim came and they broke the fence and they came into Eretz Israel and they destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. And the fence was broken, and now the vineyard was vulnerable to all the wild animals. So the, 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 the Tehilim says, God Almighty, why did you breach the fence? Why did you allow the Goyim to break the fence of this beautiful vineyard? Kerem, the Jewish people are called Kerem Yisrael, the vineyard of Israel. Why did you allow them? 
And oreha means they plucked. All the people that were on the road came to pluck the grapes, which means we were, we were easy pickings. They came along and they started to pluck us out. We were, we were exposed. The gates were, were breached. As they plucked. All the wayfarers came now and the Jewish people were open season. Now here's a pasuk. This is a pasuk that we're going to sit on for a minute. Please, if you have a teething book, you need to see this inside. This is a pasuk you must see inside. Even if you don't have a book, now get a book because there's a, there's a show and tell in this pasuk over here. Yeah, you got to see this over here. It's, it's Perek Peh Pasuk Yudalin. You won't regret it. Yecharsemena Hazir Miyar. And you know who came into the vineyard? You know who ate all the grapes? Yecharsemena means he, he trampled and destroyed devastation. You know who did it? The Hazir. You know who the Hazir is? The pig. Forgive me, the pig. And you know where the pig came from? Miyar. He came from the forest. There's two types of pigs. There's the wild boar and then there's the domesticated one. The ones that you see at the, uh, at the zoo, at the kids, at the children's zoo, the oink oink, those are the oink oink ones, that's the domesticated one. Those are not dangerous. I mean, they're, they're, they're smelly and ugly, but they're not dangerous. And of course, they're not kosher. But there's the other one that's one of the most dangerous and ferocious animals. He's called Hazir Ya'ar. It's the wild boar. Go, 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 go Google the wild boar, you'll see. It's a monstrosity of an animal. It's a pig, but it's vicious. And that attacks. And that's a merciless animal. And the pasuk over here is comparing the enemies that destroyed the second temple when they came in and they broke the fence and they started to pluck the grapes, they started to kill the Jewish people. They didn't come in as a passive animal. They came in like Hazir Miyar. They came in like the wild boar. Who are we talking about? Who's the Hazir? Who's the Hazir? Right over here. I present, I bring this into the, uh, into the shiur now. I present this document. Do you know that the Torah in Parashat Shemini talks about four Unkosher animals. The Torah lists four unkosher animals. <laughs> you see, we started with four, and we're going to end with four. Remember, I started the class today. I told you, anytime there's a, a number four in the Torah, it's talking about the four exiles. The Zora Kedor says when the Torah refers to the four animals that it lists that are not kosher, it's also referring to the four exiles. And I read, Vetagamal. Gamal's the camel. Zubabel. That's referring to Babel. Now anybody know, to be a kosher animal, you have to have two kosher signs. What are the kosher signs? Very good. 
That's fish. Animals are what? Chew its cud and hooves. Split hooves. Split hooves and chewing its cud. Well, if, I, if, you lunch, if you didn't eat lunch yet, now I'll ruin your lunch for a minute. I'll ruin your appetite. Chewing its cud basically means that they swallow it and then it comes back up again and they chew it a second time. They regurgitate their food. It's called ma'ale gera. Their food returns back for a second, a, second, a second chewing. So they get their money's worth. But the point is, the camel chews its cud, but it does not have split hooves. So listen to what the Zohar HaKadosh says. Beta gamal. Zubavel, that's referring to Babel, the first exile. Ki ma'alat girahi, because there'll be a regurgitation. It's not the final exile. Their exile will regurgitate another exile after. It's not the end. The second animal is the arnevet. The arnevet is the rabbit. The rabbit represents Yavan. Again, rabbits have one kosher sign. They regurgitate their food. Says the Zohar, because after Galut Yaban, they'll regurgitate another exile after it. It's not the final exile. Something's going to come up after Galut Yaban. It's Ma'ale Gera. After the Anevit, you have the Shafan. The Shafan is the Hyrax. No, look what it is. It's like a squirrel. Zumadai. That's referring to Parasumadai. Again, the Hyrax chooses its cut because there will be another exile after after, after Ramadan. And then you get to the fourth animal, the Hazir. Hazir is Edom. The pig does not chew its cud. It has split hooves. You know why it doesn't chew its cud? Because they will not regurgitate another exile after it. After the fourth exile, there is no more regurgitation of exile. So you see it in the, in the animals themselves, in their kosher signs. The kosher signs actually tell us a story. Why doesn't the, God forbid, if the pig would chew its cud, that would mean, well, we got another one, we have another exile. But good news, the Midrash says, it does not chew its cud, and therefore it's going to be the final exile. However, however, why do we call it a hazir? Anybody speak Hebrew? What does the word hazir sound like? Hazara, lahzor. Because once the hazir comes, eventually B'nai Israel will be hozer, la'atara, they will return the crown to its original glory. From the hazir, from Isa, from which is Edom, B'nai Israel will be hozer to the original, original status. You following so far? Yeah. So the number four, terrible. terrible. The worst. And, and there's two types of Hazirim, as I mentioned. So Esav has two faces. Sometimes he's the oink oink, the regular Hazir, which is not so bad. But sometimes he's Hazir Miyar. He's the wild boar. I'll give you an example. The Jews lived in Spain. Spain is Esav. He's all Esav. Golden era in Spain, the 1400s, the 1200s, 1300s, beautiful. I mean, it was Goyim, but we lived in peace. We lived with the Hazir, but he wasn't Hazir Miyar. 1492, Hazir Miyar came out. The wild boar came out. He changed, they changed on us. Germany, we lived with the Hazir. They were the Hazir, but they were the innocuous one. They were the, you know, the children's zoo pig. And then in 1938, 
the Hazir Miyar came out. So Esab always goes between the innocuous and the passive Hazir to the animalistic, dangerous Hazir. And that's why, great ladies, if you look, and we conclude, oh, if, if you look at this, this is what I wanted to show you. You see, you see the iron over here of Miyar? Miyar, you see the iron? Pasuk Yudalid. It Hazir Miyar, the wild boar. You see the iron of Miyar? Yeah. Yeah. It's hanging. Don't you see it hanging on top of the word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you don't have it hanging? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, 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 it's hanging. Or it's, it's written large. Mm-hmm. You have it written large, correct? No, no it's regular. Oh, come on. No. Uh, oh, that's not fair. No, 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 no. Okay, okay ladies. No, that's why you have to pay $3 for the daily book. Over here, watch. Show and tell. I know it's too far to see. I'll show you. Go around. You see over here how it's written? Oh, the wow. Eye, the eye is, is hanging. Ladies, I'll show you from my table. You see the eye how it's hanging? It's different. You see? You see over here. Look how it's hanging. Anyway, so the question is, what's this hanging iron? We never heard of a hanging iron before. Because if you take the iron, the, the hanging iron represents means sometimes it's there, sometimes remove it. Of course, there's two types of pigs. There's another type of pig that lives in the swamps. The swamp is called the yor. The yor is the, the water. Sometimes Esav is the Hazir Miyar, the wild boar. Sometimes take the iron out, and he's Hazir Miyar. Miyar means from the or from the water, which means he's the he's the he's the, the harm, the less harmful of the two. So therefore, the iron sometimes is in, and sometimes it's out. It's the two faces of Esav. It's the two faces that we've always experienced in America. We've experienced the less uh, uh, dangerous and violent, but don't think that. In two seconds, the Hazir Miyor can turn into the Hazir Miyar, and it, it happens uh, just as fast as it can happen in Germany. And therefore, we're always in great Sakana, and therefore the Navi over here in the Tehidim is saying, save us from the Hazir Miyar. We know what this Hazir Miyar Esav is capable. Now, let me make one more point. Good news, he doesn't chew his cud. He doesn't chew his cud. So that means there's not going to be regurgitation, but he does have split hooves. And the Gemara says, the split hooves is to indicate, look, I'm kosher. When you look at the animal, you don't, you don't know if he chooses cuts or not. How would you know? But you look at his split hooves. One of the telltale signs of Esav the Hazid is, they make it as if they're very ethical. You remember the Germans? The Germans made it as if they're very kosher people. Good morning, how do you do? Ladies first, all the different uh, animal rights. They professed as if they were very, very, you know, uh, decent. Uh, until you saw their true colors. And that's the same thing in, in America, there's no difference. You're starting to see all the ethics and the values of the degenerate country we live in fall to the wayside over there. But, uh, but you start to see it uh, unraveling. But the Hazir makes himself, we have justice systems, Department of Education, and we have rights, and we have constitution. They come to us as if they're very, very kosher. And when you start to scratch the surface, you start to see it's decrepit. What do you mean they're kosher? There's all corruption, and there's all, there's all terrible things. Finally, 
And I have good news from the Hatam Sofer. As a result of the destruction of the second temple, do you know that we have four fasts? I'll review them for you. We have Shiva Betamus. We have Tisha Be'av. We have Asara Betevet, which is the winter fast. And we also have Som Gedalia, which is right after Rosh Hashanah. Those are the four rabbinical fasts, all to commemorate uh, temple destruction, correct? I have very good news, Hatam Sofes says. Those four fast days are going to return one day and become national holidays. So <laughs> four more days for you ladies to cook. <laughs> that means these, these days over here, instead of fast days where you were off for that day, but they're going to turn into major, major holidays. We're going we're gonna to have big, big parties on day. That, that's what it says. Now, says Hatam, says, says the Hatam Sofer, says the Hatam Sofer, listen how amazing. He says the four fast days are hinted in the word Hazir. There's four letters in Hazir. Het, Zayin, Yudresh. Let's go slow. Tisha Be'av is in the month of Av. As you know that already. The month of Av, no, let's go before Tisha Be'av. Shavasa Tammuz. Shavasa Tammuz is in the month of Tammuz. What month of the year is Tammuz? So let's go slow. Nisan, Iyad, Sivan, Tammuz, and then we have we, we, have, we, have, we have Tammuz. Tammuz is the fourth month, correct? Or if you go from Tishrei, Tishrei, Heshvan, Kislev, Tevet, Shvat, Adar, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz. Oh, so that would be in the 10th month, right? That would be the 10th month. And then if you look in the Navi, I'm working it out of my head. If you look in the Navi, the Navi says there's a fast in the fourth month and there's a fast, that's what it is. There's a fast, Chodesh HaRivi'i, and there's a fast in Chodesh HaHamishi, and there's a fast in Chodesh HaAsiri. So let's go the fourth and the fifth. The fourth month is Shiva Asar Betamuz. That's called Tzom HaRivi'i, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tamuz. I got it. The fourth month. Fourth month in Hebrew is called Rivi'i. Som ha-rivi'i. Rivi'i is what? Resh. In the Hazir, there's a Resh, correct? The Resh of Hazir represents the fast in Chodesh Rivi'i, which is Shema Sabah Tammuz. So far good? Now, the next month, which is the fifth month, which is Chodesh Hamishi, is, is Shabi'av. That's the Chet of Hazir. The Chet of Hazir represents Hamishi. Evantim so far? Het is Hamishi and the Resh is Ribi'i. That's Shivasa Betamuz and Tisha Be'av. Fourth month and fifth month. But why is Het Hamishi? Het? Hamishi? Het? Hamishi? Hamishi, first letter of Hamishi is what? Hamishi is Het. Just, no problem. I'm, the same, I'm working it on myself. I have the same issues here. And the Resh is Ribi'i. Now watch. Then you have Asara Betebet. Asara Tevet is in the 10th month. It's in, it's in the 10th, let's go. Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, Tishrei, Hashvan, Kislev, Tevet. So that's the Yud of Hazir. The Yud of Hazir represents the fast that's in the 
tenth month. So far, so good. So what letter are we missing now? The Zion. The Zion is the month of Tishri. Tishri is Som Gedaliah. And therefore you have the fast that's in the fifth month, that's Hamishi of Hazir, Het. You have the fast that's in the seventh month, that's the Zion of Hazir. You have the fast that's in the tenth month, which is Tebet, which is the Yud of Hazir. And you have the fast which is in the fourth month, which is Zivi'i, which is the Resh of Hazir. And therefore the Hazir represents the four fast days. And says the Hatam Sufir, you know why it's represented in the Hazir? Because they are going to return. There's going to be a return on those fast days are going to return from being miserable fast days to being national holidays. And that's as a result of the prayer that Asaf makes in this chapter when he finally says at the end, Dear God, Hashivenu, return us from exile number four, save us from the Hazir Miyar, from the wild boar, from this crazy pig that comes along and breaks the fences. And as a result, the Hazir, so marvi'i, so ma'amishi, so ma'asiri, and so ma'shivi'i, Yafok libnei Israel, le sason u simha, da'emet va shalom ehad.